0: a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Welcome back. Today I have one chapter of Hungry Ghosts of Paradise. Last night I actually finished writing a draft of the rest of the book. This is not the last chapter, but there are A few more after this one but it's all written out and now i just have to edit it and it's a big feeling so so grateful for your listenership and for you being with me along this process and i will leave you to our current chapter here chapter 34 with the usual reminder that this is a story for adults please listen responsibly and the entire audio novella has that um and if you are just tuning in now go back to the beginning of the book um many episodes back and i'll leave you to chapter 34 now Spring Equinox 2019, by night a full moon in Libra. It falls on the night of the weekly ecstatic dance in Oakland. It's my first time at the venue, and while I'm not on my own inspired to go out, the Spring Equinox, a full moon in Libra, feels like a perfect night to go dancing and for added measure I microdose a little. The woman working the ticket booth insists I've been there before. Up a winding staircase, the main dance floor, dark, full of bodies moving like water, contact improv, Bay Area sensuality, a projector screen behind the DJ with oceanic light patterns. Another staircase leads to a loft space, padded for stretching, and a tea T-bar. To the back, a tarot reader has a booth set up. I notice her immediately, but she's occupied with a client. I sit down at the tea bar, half moon shaped. The server gives me a small porcelain cup, a full moon basin, pours me an herbal earthy blend. I am quiet, drinking, watching the server pour tea. Water filling cups takes my vision to one of the men a few people down from me, lifting the tea up to his visage, which is the exact likeness of Aiden. I stare he catches me a few times, disgruntled-seeming. Ideally, in my vanity, I would like someone who catches me staring at them in the night as we're all dressed up to seem curious, playful. But his uncanny similarity to Aiden is too striking for me to care about his lukewarm to irritated reception to my staring. How could this be? It's been three years now. And I've been haunted, a specter that follows me every single day in my attempt for my current life to surpass my old one. Sure, I've made new friends, have a new community, got a degree, have an entirely new environment. But sex is challenging. Despite my highest vision for an erotically abundant life, it's hard to meet anyone and the times where I have pursued even casual sex, with the hopes that it could be enjoyable, I've most often stopped the other person midway, and left, or asked them to leave. Because not only am I not enjoying myself, but I'm flooded. Their touch irritates me, I don't feel attuned to, I feel overwhelmed with the whiplash of my highest hopes for an enjoyable night. A night that might save me from the past being the best I could ever have. Slapped back in my face as a kind of failure. Again, unsatisfied hunger. Again, a reminder of loss I can't comprehend. I'm not sure what I'm doing. How I'm part of the problem. And while I'm certain that I'm off here, but I can't find my way out of it. It just seems like all of these men are clumsy and absolutely unskillful. Like, what the actual fuck? What is wrong with the world? According to vague teachings, the only ones that I can find, though I haven't found the knowledge I'm seeking, it appears this is my problem. Some disconnection I have to myself. But I can't figure it out. Or reverse my fortune. Untangle this knot. And it all fills me with a scathing frustration I can hardly stand to be with. I understand, intellectually, women are supposed to ask for what they want and not expect men to read their minds. But Aiden did literally read my mind. I never had to ask for anything or adjust him. I go through cycles of frustration to opening up my mind to the possibility that I could find someone, to giving it a chance and being disappointed, enraged, getting jaded, then getting hopeful and repeating the cycle all over again. It's painful, and while I search for solutions, 2019, three years after Aiden, I haven't managed to unknot this one. I'm frustrated and embarrassed that this is where I'm at. How many strategies I've employed to try to release Aiden, to get over him, and yet nothing has worked. How I thought maybe grad school would carry me off to a better life. How day in and day out I collect thousands of new experiences, and yet nothing manages to erode this frozen part of me or fill this massive emptiness my experience with Aiden left behind. So I close my eyes. Taking in the image of Aiden's apparent existence three seats down from me, I ask myself, What would I do if this were a dream? A voice that is also myself answers, I will never forgive myself if I don't go talk to him. A vacancy. Another man next to the Aiden-looking man stands up and heads back downstairs toward the dance floor. I take the spot swiftly. Facing Aiden's doppelganger, I say, I'm sorry I've been staring at you. It's just that you look like a person I used to know. Would it be alright if we talked for a bit? Sure, he says. What's your name? I ask. Jordan. I'm Sabrina. Hey, he says. This is my first ecstatic dance here, I say. Do you come here often? When I'm in town or in the country, yeah, he says. He doesn't make a lot of eye contact. He mostly looks ahead as he speaks, perhaps another source of his aversion to my staring. I, however, don't refrain from my continued staring as he continues. I work long hours several months at a time doing gigs, working festivals, pruning trees, or clearing forest paths of fallen trees. And then I get several months off and I can do whatever I like. He explains that he doesn't really identify with his work per se. He more identifies with his work that he does on the astral plane, guiding souls who are lost, such as recently crossed over ones. His work that he does here in this reality, the one that pays in fiat currency, just has to sustain him enough so that he can do the real work in his sleep. The person you remind me of was a big astral plane person, and he went to ecstatic dance most weeks, too. Hmm, Jordan says. Would you mind telling me your sign? I asked Jordan. I'm a Scorpio, Libra Moon, Virgo rising. No, that is exactly what the man you remind me of was, I say. My heart is pounding. Jordan doesn't really seem affected one way or the other. He seems as tall as Aiden, similar physique too, but Jordan is a little thinner. But I press. Please tell me more about you. He has four dogs and would leave the country for good if he could take them with him. What kind of dogs? Chihuahuas. I find this curious, him and four chihuahuas, a little bit hard to picture. Aiden has two big dogs, one a German shepherd, and he used to have three before one passed away. Aiden's dogs are his life. As I'm studying Jordan's face, and Jordan is basically just allowing it, I begin to see his facial features distinguish, grow different than Aiden, but not enough to lose the likeness. I feel Jordan's skeleton glowing through his skin, too, like I had with Aiden the night of the New Year's party at the kitchen table, where Aiden told me he goes insane for his art, and I thought, I might hate him someday. Jordan announces he's going to go dance again. Do you want a hug? He asks me, appearing the friendliest he has yet. The hug is light, a little limp and ghostly, and he evaporates. I look over to the tarot reader who's now open, no one sitting with her, so I rush over to her. How can I help you, she asks. Had I seen her before encountering Jordan, had she been open when I first saw her, I would not have been primed to really hit her with the core of my impasse. It wouldn't have felt so raw. I say, I've been grieving a man I loved for years. Grieving him for years. We had a really massive soul connection and then we went on this road trip together and he got a head injury. Our relationship blew up from there. Despite my best efforts, I've never gotten over it. Day to day, the pain isn't necessarily fresh. It's abstract now, but relentless. I have wanted nothing more than to be alive again in that particular way, to be in love again with someone else. And just now, before coming over to you... I was at the tea bar over there, and there was this man who looked just like him. And they have the same sun, moon, and rising, I find out. And all of these similar life details. And now, my heart feels ripped open. Why is my perception so intense? These synchronicities, things like this, happen to me all the time, and I feel like I'm in an echo chamber, sometimes, of my pain. And it's not like I haven't tried everything to be free. Why is my life an opera? Lucia, the tarot reader, has green eyes that look like a cat's, and she doesn't flinch as I tell her any of this. She's listening deeply, but doesn't sway. She lights a sage bundle and asks if it's okay to touch me. The tip of the bundle, glowing hot and orange. She blows the smoke at me and brushes the bone over my heart with her hand before holding her hand there for a moment. The transmission is such that I feel a cleansing wind encircle me and I feel something like a jungle surround us. She draws my cards. A king of cups, if I remember correctly. Other cards I forget. You're really fucking generous, she tells me. You serve your community all day, every day. You don't even hold back. You source wisdom from your life that you share abundantly. It's extraordinary how much you give. And this event, this tragedy, you've been thinking of it in a way that doesn't help you, asking, Why did this happen to me? Instead of, How did this happen for me? How was this an immaculate setup? How was this medicine? How has everything conspired to gift and bless me? I get chills as she speaks. You've analyzed the situation as though something has gone wrong and you've locked yourself out of your own power, your kingdom as it were in the process. You have the power, the sight, the guidance to alchemize this and see this one through if you remember this generosity that you are and the immense resource that you actually have for this. She speaks of alchemical processes, of wealth, of abundance, words I forget, though I feel extraordinarily alive talking to her and all the colors are growing brighter and more vivid. In the very places I approached her, ripped open by meeting Jordan, I am electrified with the benevolent severity and presence she meets me with. She processes my turmoil, unknots it, and hands it back to me like a gift. I end up working with her for several years. She coaches me, teaches me thought work and EFT tapping, teaches me how to radically clear trauma from my body. As though I meet plant medicine in the form of a person, she shows me how to purge and clear entire threads of my consciousness, clear the charge of traumatic events. Aiden and the aftermath of Aiden leads me to Jordan, and Jordan leads me to Lucia, raw, on this fateful night, divinely orchestrated, universe concierge of synchronicity and healing. Lucia guides me through an internal thicket, and I get more and more of my life force back, freed up from the profound entanglements and knots that have had me on my knees. I can see I'm on the path, even though it's not the one I imagined for myself, at least not yet. I just want the dream, the partnership, the magical life, the tantric paradise. But I surrender to having ample resource and necessity to face my trauma, my inner demons, the structure of my consciousness, first. Sprinkle in some play and generating fun on purpose because I can. My life returns to me and returns and returns. The jungle is closing in. I'm engulfed by the night, guided by lantern.